This is the Plan Simple Podcast. The one for you, my dear, the woman who wears so many hats. We both know how many people in your life benefit when you're at your best. What would happen if you were to ditch overwhelm and wear all those hats with ease? I'm going to share how simple this can be. We will dive into how to make health, family, home, spirituality, productivity, and entrepreneurship more easeful. Incredible friends and guests will come by for inspirational conversations, valuable shares, and real strategies so you can plan for your best life. My name is Mia Moran. I'm a mother of three, a wife, an entrepreneur, a coach, and your host. I wear a lot of hats, and I am committed to leading a balanced life and sharing all that I have learned and am learning with you. You're ready? Let's flow. Hey, welcome to this episode of the Plan Simple Podcast. I literally have this line in my head right now. It's like, can't sleep. It's like, got milk? (laughs) Can't sleep. It is the worst when you can't sleep right? Whether you can't fall asleep or stay asleep or get quality sleep, not sleeping literally impacts everything. Everything from how we interact with our kids, our husband, how we do our work, how we show up to ourselves, what we eat, like it literally affects everything. Sleep has been a really hot topic in Flow 365 really for the past few months. I would say really since COVID, I wonder if that has any impact on it. And I know too many women who just aren't getting enough sleep. And so that's why I am so excited for you to meet the amazing Kelly Patrick, who is an adult sleep coach. And when I was looking for someone to talk about sleep, I will tell you there's a lot of children's sleep coaches, but no one's talking about this for us grownups like who can't sleep. Everyone just assumes we'll be fine. So Callie is an adult sleep coach. She's also the author of a best-selling book called Mastering Your Sleep Puzzles. So we can definitely all go grab that. It's a 12-week guide to sleeping better. So if you're looking, 12 weeks is what we say to plan for. So if you're looking for something to even imprint over your 90-day plan, this book would be an amazing, amazing resource for you. And she really helps stressed out, tired people reclaim their sleep and their energy and through sleep, their enthusiasm for life. So I cannot wait for us to learn from her. So before we do that, I will tell you that actually you can learn from her live and also some other teachers because she is going to be part. She's one of our expert guides who's part of Make Time for Your Health, which is coming up fast. So if you haven't gotten your free ticket, please go sign up. It's going to be such a great week. I'm so excited for us women to just rethink how we're even thinking about our health, much less making time for it. And so it can stop feeling so hard and burdensome and like, maybe we're not even worthy of it. We're going to start looking at how we can plan in a way that really meets all those limiting beliefs we might have around taking care of ourselves and how we're going to take care of ourselves in this new way and having this plan in front of you for this fall so that you can take care of yourself. Even if you have a story about the fall being busy or too much, or you just don't have time, 
just come join us. It's going to be so good. And so there's going to be this layer of every morning, you're going to get a guided planning session from me that's going to just land right in your inbox. And you can do it in the 30 minutes at any point in your day. And you're going to get this playbook with planning pages in it that's going to guide you, you know, you're going to go through those pages as you're listening to me help you plan each morning. So that by Thursday, you can take what you did on Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday, and we're going to put it into this one page plan that's just going to help you thrive in a different way because we're using our planning process and laying this new health piece on top of it. The health piece is not new. We've been talking about health and wellness around here for a long time. It's one of our core pillars. But I've really been working really hard to figure out how we can even get further out of the stories that we tell ourselves about wellness and I'm just or lack thereof wellness and I'm so excited for this. So you get these lessons every morning, these planning pages. Every single day I'm going to answer all the questions that get asked. You'll learn about how when you join. And Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday, the whole premise of this is that you don't really need to be told by somebody else what it is that you need to do to be well. I really want you to source that from within. And once you've done that, or as you are doing that, you might come across questions like you might decide from the deepest, wisest part of yourself that you definitely are going to needing to move more right now. Like that's a really important part of your wellness blueprint this fall. Yet you might not know exactly what that means in your particular situation or at your age. And so we have a fitness expert coming in to answer questions. You might come like into the knowing that you want to upgrade your food to the next level. And you've heard about certain things and you're not sure they sort of contradict themselves in certain places. So we have a food expert coming on so you can get all your questions answered. All right. So that's another level. And those live calls are Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday at 12 p.m. And then once you've made your plan, we want to show you what it starts to look like to integrate it. So that's going to be Friday. So it's going to be, in some sense, a jam-packed week. But in another sense, I tried to make it so that like it really fits into your day. So I'm just so excited. It's free. Come spend time with us. Come just feel really good about how you're going to take care of yourself as we head in, out of the summer and at least the northern hemisphere and into the fall. And whether you're like in a place where you're just feeling overwhelmed around your health or you're feeling pretty good, but sometimes the change of season, you know, can pull the rug from under you, which is totally normal, by the way, this is a good way to just come in and make your plan for the season. All right. So you can go to plansimple.com slash workshop, put in your name and email, and you will get everything right in your inbox. And I cannot wait to be with you for a whole week. All right. With no further ado, let's get the amazing Callie on the show, because you can start learning right now all about sleep. Hey, Callie, welcome to the Plan Simple podcast. Hi, Leah. Thank you. Oh my gosh. I'm so excited to be here talking about this topic. It's funny because sleep has, when I go to sleep, I'm fine. I've definitely had the problem of not going to sleep on time, <laughs> but when I go to sleep, I'm fine. But I'm noticing that sleep is a really, really hot topic right now in our community and there's a lot of people struggling with it. So I'm so happy that you're here to shed some light on what everyone's going through. My pleasure. Hopefully I can shed some light on it. Yeah, yeah. Will you tell everyone a little, just like give your background, like sure. why you care so much about sleep and wrote this amazing book about it? Yes. 
So prior to becoming a health and wellness coach who does specialize in sleep, I worked in high tech for a good 20 years and dealt with the you know fast-paced corporate culture and nothing was ever good enough, et cetera, et cetera. And just being stressed and having trouble with sleep myself. When I was having trouble myself, I had, quote unquote, done all the things, right? Seen the doctor, taken the medicines, done the supplements, and nothing seemed to really help. And I knew that stress was really at the root of it or that there were other root causes that weren't being investigated. And so when I finally burned out from that career in 2010, I decided to obviously heal myself from the burnout. And part of that was really looking at what was impacting my sleep and what was creating the conditions for self-described insomnia, because I was never diagnosed with that. And so as I started studying in more detail yoga therapy and health and wellness, I just really, sleep was just something that felt so foundational to me for everything else, right? I mean, my thought is, if you're not sleeping well, it's really hard to feel motivated to move and exercise when that's an important part of health as well. It's similarly really hard to eat well and make good choices when you are tired and your body actually chemically reacts differently when you are sleep deprived. And so you'll crave different foods. And so sleep really, for me, became the foundation of not only dealing with exercise and diet, but also dealing with mood, right? Anxiety, depression, stress. And so that's where I've been focusing on for many years now. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, I'm listening to so many people's goals, like on a daily basis of like, wants to be the focus, what's coming, going on, what's feeling stressful. And it's interesting to me because I feel like a lot of us go to food and exercise, which as you said, are like awesome things to go toward. And yet sleep seems to be definitely one of the most stressful wellness things that needing to be changed. So I feel like way more tears are shed about sleep, right, than any other area, because it's just so frustrating when you're not able to sleep, and it's what you're really needing. And you know that. Yes. And that makes me sad to hear, right? Because it's naturally about a surrender. It's about a letting go. It's about, you know, just letting yourself settle. And I think our culture doesn't permit that. And in some cases, we don't permit that of ourselves. And so when we go to try to solve a sleep struggle, we put more stress and angst and try to control it more. We see that with substances, with gadgets, with sleep solution, which is now, I think, a $65 billion market at this point, the last I look. And it's actually the opposite of what most people need to help them sleep soundly. Okay, so can we dive into that? So when somebody's like, I'm going to have a goal, I really want to work on how I'm going to sleep better and more and like really solve this. Can we talk about like what their thinking could be to really solve that goal? The other thing I'll say about sleep just quick before you jump in is that I also notice, you know, one of the reasons that we work so closely with people on goal setting is because I think there's this like human need that when we have this desire and we want to solve it, and we think we have figured out a way to solve it, it's like we want it done like now, right? Like, even if we set the goal, you know, literally, if we're sitting down right now and writing out a goal, and it's been 10 minutes since we set it, and we're feeling really good about it, I feel like 
I work with women predominantly, so I don't know if it's a female thing or it's all humanity, but it's sometimes literally 10 minutes later, people can feel like already behind and already like it's not working. And it's like, it's been sleep. There like hasn't even been a sleep cycle yet, you know, and it's just the goal itself becomes frustrating. So I'm curious, like, I would love to hear your expert advice on just what it looks like to set a goal and what the pace to expect, because I think that that's really helpful in understanding the process of getting right so i think similar to you you know you mentioned 90 day goals when i work with someone in private coaching we have a 12-week commitment and we do set goals but we start with a vision right we start with what is important about getting better sleep us too i love that that's our first step (laughs) and i have you know if someone comes to me and says well my vision is i want to sleep better that's not a vision that's not something that's motivating we have to get down to what's really important about feeling well rested right is it you're more patient with your children is it you get to have energy to put into a passion of yours which might be entrepreneurship or might be volunteerism or whatever that is so having a vision as you know is so important and it's never about the sleep, right? I used to have a friend who said, it's not about what it's about. (laughs) I love it. Foundational to really goal setting. And then when we get into the actual goals in terms of behavioral, sometimes that's appropriate, right? Sometimes a behavioral goal is appropriate. Like, okay, I'm going to be off my screen two hours before bedtime, right? That's a very common thing to want to do. Well, that's great. But how are you going to support yourself in doing that? Right. And if you are someone who's on your screens two hours before bed every single day of the week saying, okay, I'm going cold turkey, I'm not going to do that at all. Suddenly, that's just not practical, right? You're going to going from seven days a week to no days a week. Well, let's say on the weekends, you know, you don't do that. Or let's make it into a real smart goal, something that's very small and manageable. And people, I don't think, realize how small that could be. If I can give an example for myself, because I know this might be relevant for your audience. Your audience Absolutely. I'm a woman of a certain age. I've been going through the hot flashes myself. And I know from my yoga and Ayurvedic practice that doing some oiling on the hands and feet before bed can be a really useful tool for that, for cooling the body. So I wanted to oil my feet before bed. And the first step I took, my first goal was literally move the oil from the bathroom medicine cabinet to the bedside was my weekly goal. And it might sound ridiculous, it might sound funny, but it took me a couple days to actually do that, to remember to do that. And then once it was there, I didn't even think about the goal of putting it on my feet because I saw it there and I just did it, right? So it's how do we set a goal that is, I almost want to say ridiculous, that moves us in the direction that we want to go. And it's those really tiny, small steps. And having that small win that says, yes, I just moved this from here to there. Now it becomes easy, right? Now I'm not going, okay, now I've got to put oil on my feet every single night, right? I just see it. And sometimes I do it and sometimes I don't. And then I notice, oh, what happens the nights that I do it? Do I have fewer symptoms? And so I think we're so overachieving in terms of, well, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do it seven days a week and I'm going to go from not doing anything at all. Just that doesn't set anyone up for success in my experience. Yeah, I love that. And I always am using the example as well of like, you know, a lot of times when we're in a moment where we need to set a goal for change, like it's taken us some time to get into this situation. So it's not like you're bothered by sleep because you didn't sleep for one night. Usually it's probably added up over months, maybe even years. So the idea that we want to, you know, solve that problem 
in a day. <laughs> like, it, you know, it's like doesn't match the path that we got there, which is, you know, interesting. I don't need, know that it needs to take years, but you know what I mean? Like, right. And I think it might too, take a moment. Sometimes people don't realize they're not ready for a goal like that, like a behavioral goal. They need a goal that's more about, well, let me think about the benefits of this, or let me think about how this is actually helping me, right? If you're on your screens all the way up until bedtime, there's a reason you're doing that. How is that benefiting you? And how is that not benefiting you? And what are the benefits of, you know, maybe letting that go a couple nights a week versus not? And really looking at that and taking the time to consider what, because there's always a reason why we're not making the change. There's always a benefit of a bad yes. habit. Just because we label it bad right. doesn't mean that it's not there for a reason. So sometimes the goal is, hey, think about this or become aware of, okay, it's nine o'clock. What am I doing? That's it. We're not changing. We're not saying you can't do this or that, but it's increasing the awareness and increasing the awareness of the benefits and the motivation to want to make the behavioral change. And then when you finally get there, it can become so much easier. Another interesting thing that I actually don't know the answer to, so I would just love to hear this. And I know that there's probably not one way every human needs to be, but I feel like we've gotten so far away from prioritizing sleep, like as a society that I'm not like, I feel like we just always say you should be getting eight hours of sleep, but like, what's the real answer to like what we're even trying like to solve for, you know, so I sometimes when I hear people say they're not sleeping, like, it's just hard to know what what to actually aim for, like what the final goal is that you're taking small steps forward. So like, will you redefine what a successful night's sleep might even look like if you're like, feeling like you don't have one, but you're not sure what it is? Sure. And I'll first broaden that out a bit to be about not just one night, but what's your sleep experience? Oh, I love that. Yes. So it's not just focused on one night, but it's the whole. So for example, I had a client I was working with yesterday. She made a small change. She had six days of really great sleep. And then the morning or the afternoon I spoke with her that previous night, she had a poor night's sleep. The brain, you know, has the negative bias. It has the recency bias. So it was like, oh my gosh, last night was awful. I wasn't sleeping, da, 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 da. And we went back and it's like, oh, but I had six days of a really good experience. So we have to look at the, the big picture, right? And yes. we can get very narrow and focused on one particular night. And I will share that for most people who have a chronic, it has, it's arrived as a result of having a couple of bad nights, but then getting in your head about it. And this has been studied, right? This is in the scientific literature, right? That the condition we call insomnia is a behavioral pattern that's created by the mind. Oh, I'm having a problem when one or two nights of poor sleep is not unheard of. My smoke detector went off last night at 11 o'clock because of the humidity in my house, right? So I jumped out of bed at that point and it interrupted my sleep, right? So maybe I'm not 100% today, but that stuff happens and we have to allow for that and give ourselves permission for that. Not every night is going to be perfect and there's really no such thing as a perfect night of sleep. Uh, What we're looking for on a nightly basis is, first of all, giving ourselves enough sleep opportunity, which I think is probably the first step for a lot of people, which means giving yourself enough time to be sleeping for eight hours if you want to have eight hours of sleep, right? If you're working until late and you don't go to bed until midnight, you need to be up at six. There's no way you're getting eight hours of sleep. I mean, it's simple math, right? So prioritizing that, I mean... It's simple, maybe not easy, maybe setting some different boundaries with what you're doing with others and yourself. 
And then we're looking for whatever amount of time and whatever quality allows a person to wake up feeling refreshed. And sometimes that the problem with that is either on the initial falling asleep end, right? Early in the night when you first fall asleep, you tend to get more non-REM sleep, which is really important. And early in the morning, you tend to get more REM sleep, which is why we tend to remember dreams when we wake up. And that's also really important. You need both of those to wake feeling refreshed. And so it depends, you know, if somebody is an early waker, then we might look at that or we might look at the other end to make sure that they're really getting that area is really solid because obviously one impacts the other. So the particular goals really depend on where the person's experiencing the issue. Middle of the night wake ups, obviously the 3 a.m., like I'll say the 2 to 4 a.m. window tends to be a problem for a lot of people. And in that case, it can become, oh, I woke up because I have to go to the bathroom, which is a completely normal experience. But what happens when you crawl back into bed? Does your mind start going off into all the things that have to happen or things you're worried about, et cetera, et cetera. And then it's more of a, how do we shift the mindset? How do we start to focus the mind on to rest, to pave the way for sleep? And is that like a meditative experience? Is that what's happening in that? Like to calm your job just becomes to calm? I do use a lot from the, the yoga therapy tradition people remain when that happens, whether either it's the falling asleep initially or the falling back to sleep. I know um, CBTI is a really great um, cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia is a really great alternative to medication for many people, but it can be very restrictive, right? That modality says 15 to 20 minutes, if you're not sleeping, get out of bed. And I disagree with that because I think that increases your heart rate, that, you know, pops you up again, it retrains you to keep popping up, which is what we do all the time. So yes, I do customize the techniques that I work with people on. And the goal is not to put yourself to sleep. And that's a major mindset shift. The goal is to rest your system. Because if you can rest your body, if you can rest your mind, sleep just happens. It's a side effect. Oh, I like that. That's really important, I think, because that makes like waking up like, okay. So can you be rested in the morning and have woken up two nights to go to the bathroom or like to write down an idea? Like you can, that could be fine. Like that doesn't have to be a problem. It sounds like what you're saying. I mean, the way sleep cycle go into deep sleep and we'll get pulled up into light sleep. And that's where we tend to wake up sort of naturally, but you can roll over and go back to bed, right? You can go to the bathroom and come back to bed and fall back to sleep. It's completely possible. But we, I think a lot of people have also gotten that into their heads. Like this is, oh my gosh, I'm up. This is a problem. And then just that way of thinking is stressful. And that's going to keep sleep away. Got it. And I can see, uh, and yeah, and now that I'm like thinking of just even people who I've heard say this lately, it's like, yeah, it's like actually the thoughts about not going back to sleep are what's creating the stress in the conversation way yeah. more than, you know. I can yeah. actually see this. And actually, That's so interesting. Really, a great okay, goal for we, someone yeah, go could be, if there's someone who does that, a great goal could be to just notice, what do I say to myself when I wake up in the middle of the night? That is the goal. Yeah. Just to be aware. How am I speaking to myself? Right. And many of your right. clients, many of, many of children. your clients probably right. had children, children certainly woken yep. up in the middle of the night and been concerned about it. As a parent, how do you talk to your child when that happens? I guarantee it's not how you speak to yourself. Yes. Oh my gosh. I love that. That's so good. All right. Everyone needs to notice. All right. Can we talk about bedtime? Because I feel like that's another big like 
thing that comes up a lot. Like I'm just going to work on my evening routine. Like you said about putting oils on, like no technology, but where else is just like how we're living, like creating mixed messages or just like getting in the way of us tending to bedtime in the way that would most facilitate. I'll say two things about that. So the first thing I'll say is about the routine itself. I find for many people with struggles has become burdensome and too complicated and therefore stressful and therefore not conducive to sleep. (laughs) So if your bedtime routine consists of five or more things that you're doing in a sequential order to help you get to sleep, then that's probably too much, right? So I always work with people to find what is the one thing that you can do that you know has helped you in the past or you have a hunch that's going to help you. So for me, it was oiling my feet, right? And that's the only thing we work on. That's it. Everything else, all the other, you know, I could do this or could I have the tea or could I take the bath or da 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 right? The mind is, is scattered trying to figure out what can I do, right? So stop. stop. And is it important? Like, so everything you just mentioned, so like oils, bath, you know, all things that we would associate with, you know, or have Mm -hmm. been marketed to us as things (laughs) that help with the rest. Like, is it important that the thing or the things are related to sleep? Or is it just that it's like a marker, like it could be brushing my teeth, which actually has nothing, no benefit to sleep, but it's like a marker that I'm going to go get in my PJs and go to sleep. Do you know what I mean? Right. Well, there's two aspects of it. There's the rhythm, which is what you're talking about with the brushing your teeth, right? You're in a rhythm of brushing your teeth. But I do think it should be something that is that paves the way for sleep. And again, I'll refocus this to be away from sleep, but on the rest, something that is restful for your mind, something that is restful for your body, depending on where you feel you have the problem. The goal is not to sleep. The goal is to rest. And these are different. And I will say also that recreation and rest are not the same thing. So book choices, TV choices, right? These all come into play. So rhythm is certainly important. It's a rhythm setter. But what you choose, I think, especially if you do have an issue, is what is going to calm my system, what is going to, I won't even say relax, because I think that's just an overloaded word, but what is really going to prove restful for me? The other thing I think that you're alluding to there is something that I'm seeing a lot of, which is sort of these mixed messages around healthy evening behaviors, right? So I see this a lot on social media when people talk about, oh, I'm in my PJs at 9 p.m. I'm old and lame. Well, that's actually a great time to be in your PJs. (laughs) So it's enlightened. The way the natural, the body's natural rhythms are 10 o'clock is the last reason. People can read more about that in my book, but there's a rhythm that we naturally that's beyond circadian rhythm that's a little more discreet that happens throughout the day throughout the evening and so if you get tired around 8 9 p.m like that's good that's healthy sleep behavior but as a society we shame it others shame us and then we i mean i actually i don't even think others shame us we shame ourselves every time i have seen this it's about i am old and lame not somebody else saying it right so if you're telling yourself you're old and lame for being in your PJs because you're ready for bed, then you're not going to want to go to bed because there's a part of you that certainly doesn't probably want to be old and lame, right? Yeah. Oh my God. If I'm just like thinking personally back on my life, like just of like, you know, parents who I was getting to know in kids' classes or a good friend, like 
pretty much at every stage in the last, you know, 10 or 15 years, I remember the person who like really has good sleep boundaries. You know, like I remember the person who's like, I'm going home now because it's past my bedtime. Like I can think of three of them right off the top of my head. And I was actually just in awe. Like I was like, that's so cool. They can just like leave the event to go to sleep or they can go to sleep before the other people in their house go to sleep. Like all these things were going through my head of like, wow, like sometimes I just stay because I think I'm supposed to. Or I had this thing for a long time that I could never fall asleep before my kids, which like when you have teenagers Mm -hmm. makes no sense, you know, and it's like, oh, it's so interesting. Like, I actually really respect those people. That's awesome. And that's the attitude I think more of us should have, right? That person has really healthy boundaries. Forget about sleep. That's a demonstration of a really healthy boundary. And that's important for so many aspects of our lives. I love that. And I just feel it's funny because in our house, we definitely have, (laughs) we have no PJ shame. And I feel like for some reason, like ever since my, I have three teenagers now, like two who are leaving the house, but there is this like movement after dinner to like get in PJs, go upstairs. Like I started off around like turning lights off, but it's definitely too much. Netflix has come in at different moments that I don't think is sleep conducive, but there always has been this movement upstairs. So it's interesting that you say that. And sometimes very much in my mind, I'm like, should we be doing something else? Like do normal people stay up and like, you know, sit in the living room and I don't know what they do. You know, it's, it's interesting. It's interesting how there's so much chatter about what we're supposed to do around sleep when we just really want to rest. Do what's right for you and your family. Yeah. Oh my God. I love it. Well, and at some points you just have to do what's right for you because your family's not listening anymore. Yeah. (laughs) I was concerned. I don't have children. So, but my boyfriend and I are on completely different sleep schedules. So how do you go to sleep when someone else isn't? I just do. Do you have any tips for that? (laughs) You just do. You just go. No, but I'm in bed and he's, you know, he comes in later and I wake up early and he wakes up later. And there are times I will say, and here's another example of how language is kind of negative, right? We hear about sleep divorce now, right? Sleeping in separate beds. Divorce. Oh my gosh, it's this horrible thing. We often do that. Do we do it every day? No. But if someone didn't get a great night's sleep, we have a conversation and we just kind of do it automatically. Do you want the bed tonight? And it's like, oh yeah, I'll take the bed tonight. Right. And then we sleep separate for one night so we can recover and then we come back together. And it's no big deal. But for so many people, for so many people, oh my gosh, the intimacy, the this, the that, it's going to all fall apart. And it's like, wow, you've just taken one night of sleeping separately into this huge projection of what's going to happen to you, right? Well, I love so much of what you just shared. Not like, I mean, I love that whole piece, but also just the idea that it's like, I just need to restore for one night right now. Like just that, like understanding that, yes, could have even chosen one night of not perfect sleep to go out or do something different or support a family member. And then, but then within your scheduling and your goal setting, you know, then it's like, okay, and the next night and then, you know, for the next two nights, and I get to prioritize it in a different way so that you can sort of, I love that you can come in and out of it when you have, you know, you're very grounded in your sleep rhythm and so it's like when you are you can come in and out in that way it's like anything else right you have what is the normal right what is the typical rhythm that you follow and then you make choices right oh i'm making a choice this night to go out with my friends and i know i'm going to be out past my bedtime and okay fine i realize that that's going to potentially impact my sleep and the next day and i'll recover but we have to have the rhythm as a baseline to come back to as often as possible. I think a lot of people just lack that baseline. Yes. And so then it becomes very hard 
to establish it when everything is always different, right? You have to create a rule, then be adaptable and allow yourself the exception. Yeah. So I don't think we were sharing this online. I think we were talking about this before that it's interesting because it, that sleep has just come up so much lately in our, like among clients and like more so than I've ever heard it, like a lot. And I don't know if there's something that's happening post pandemic, but like I've just, or it's the age, you know, of the people we serve, which is, you know, that 40 to 60 age range. But I just keep hearing about it a lot. And it's interesting because it's not something that stresses me out. Like it hasn't been a stressor, but I do notice, and we're heading into, you know, a change of season. I do notice that I love your word rhythm because I use it a lot. I do notice that, you know, changes of season cause changes in all sorts of rhythms. And so if I do get stressed about sleep, it's usually because something's shifting, like, you know, our schedules are shifting or the daylight is shifting or, you know, something's happening, you know, it's mostly around schedule or like, you know, things shifting and how I spend my day. There's probably lots of moving pieces. Like as I shift from summer to fall, how I exercise changes, the food I'm eating changes, like when I need to eat change, like so many things change. And I think sometimes, and I'm not going to do it this year, I forget that sleep is part of all those other things that are changing and that I need to like re-understand my rhythm. Yeah. And with so many other things changing during your daytime, right? The daytime rhythms set up the nighttime rhythm. These are not independent factors. It's two sides of the same coin. So if a lot of upheaval and change is happening in your day, whether that's with your health habits around eating or exercise or just scheduling and stress and acclimating, of course, it's going to impact your sleep. And it's reasonable, you know, daylight savings is a great example of that, right? We don't just, the next day, you don't just wake up fine. It takes about a week, really, to acclimate to that change. So when we're moving from season to season, this is a transition, right? It's a seasonal transition. So there needs to be some allowance for disruption, right? Yes. Not perfect sleep. And this is where, you know, again, people can get into their heads like, oh my gosh, I had three or, you know two or three nights before sleep and what's wrong with me? It's like, well, look at your life, right? Everything's kind of gotten blown up and rearranged. That's stressful. There needs to be time to adapt to that. And of course, not getting good sleep is, you know, impacts the daytime as well. But again, can we not get in our heads about it and make it and add a layer of stress and anxiety around what's a natural, you know, transitional phase? because that's just not helpful. <laughs> and again, how can we incorporate more rest and let go of the angst around the sleep and allow the sleep to happen? That's so, I can't stress that enough. Yeah, I love that. I love that. And I feel like the more of us who are, you know, as most things are, the more of us who like step into this and can talk about this, the better. I mean, I just think of my kid in college and I'm like, it's such a badge of honor to never sleep. And I'm like, why is this a good thing at the time when you're like learning the most and like, he's an athlete. I'm like, there's nothing good about not sleeping. <laughs> this is not a badge of honor. <laughs> I was really hoping that was starting to change with the younger generations. But yes, I mean, same with the medical profession, right? When And like, they should know, <laughs> they should know better than anybody. Let's <laughs> work you to the bone and exhaust you and then expect you to make you know, life altering decisions, right? When you're not well rested, decision making is not 100%. Yeah, right. So it's really count a lot of things around sleep are counterintuitive. I've often been called a contrarian coach because of how my approach differs so much, right? Yeah, the, the less you control your sleep, the more you will sleep. Yeah, okay, awesome. Right? The more you focus on rest, 
the better your sleep. The more you focus on the day, the better your night. Yeah, we've really wound ourselves up when it comes to sleeping better, I think. Oh my gosh, I love it. So where can everyone find your new book that's going to give us so many of the little solutions to all this? Yes. So my book is aptly called Mastering Your Sleep Puzzle. And it's a with the subtitle, Your 12-Week Guide to Sleeping Better, because it does follow my 12-week one-on-one coaching program. But of course, putting something in a book in linear format is really challenging when <laughs> yes. really, coaching experience is very non-linear and iterative. And, but it does contain a lot of these concepts that we've been talking about, right? It talks a lot about rhythm. There's a whole chapter on food. We talk about lifestyle habits and mindset shifts. So that they can find anywhere that books are sold. It's on Amazon. Have you done an audio version yet or no? Not because an ebook version. Cool. So there's that. And my website is calliepatrick.com or calliesleepcoach.com. It's K-A-L-I. Awesome. And yeah. So there's lots of resources on the website as well. And people can always hop on a quick call with me to see if I can help them with their sleep struggles. Awesome. I love it. Thank you for all the amazing strategies. I had like this whole like list of questions. So I'm assuming that you've answered a lot of them in the book. So I'm excited to go dive in myself. I feel like I could talk for hours about this topic that I didn't even know I was so interested again. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Well, thank you so much. And we will put all those links in the show notes. And yeah, I'm hoping to get Callie in to answer some questions and answers. So if everyone sees that in their inbox, definitely come. And thank you. Thank you so much for your time and for all this work you do, because I just think this is really important right now. Definitely. I have one, like one question. Have you seen a difference after COVID in sleep? It depends. When COVID was in, when we were in the midst of it, I saw two things and it was kind of a 50-50 split. Either people were sleeping worse than they had before, right? There was a problem before and now it was worse. Or the time and, you know, being home, being in a remote, they were able to focus on and prioritize their health better. And so they were actually. Oh, interesting. It was around 50, 50 in the height of it. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Just, I'm just so curious if like the aftermath of it has been less sleep, but thank you so much. And yeah, thank you for being here. Sure. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. At the end of every episode, we always share three doable changes so you can take what you've heard and put it into action. Action is definitely where change comes from. So even though there are moments when we're really craving a big change, it is always the little things done over and over that make the difference. So I invite you to pick a doable thing, one doable thing, and play with it for a week. Put it into your calendar, weave it through your days and then move on to the next one and just watch the snowball effect. So whenever I have a conversation, I always share three doable changes so you can choose the one that resonates most with you in this season and definitely take note of others, but see if you can restrain yourself and really dive into one fully. So here are three from my conversation with Callie. Number one, simplify your bedtime routine. Pick one thing to do before bed to set yourself up for good sleep. Callie recommended doing a meditation or she shared that she rubbed oil on her feet. Maybe you have a calming tea, but what she suggests is not making it complicated. Pick one thing that's restful for your mind or your body and go with that thing, right? None of these 10 step bedtime routines. All right. Number two, identify your sleep vision. I want to sleep better or I want to get eight hours of sleep is not a vision. It isn't going to motivate you to make change. 
So instead, ask, what's important about getting better sleep? Or why do I want better sleep? What passion or action or driving force in your life can't happen without sleep? That's going to start to craft your vision. All right, doable change number three, change your sleep mindset. How do you talk to yourself when you wake up in the middle of the night? Do you think you're lame for being in pajamas at 9 p.m.? Do you say, I'll never get to sleep? So start noticing how you talk to yourself around sleep. Just noticing that can be the doable change for your week. And then see if you can change the script, right? See if you can shift it. So you're changing your mindset. So you could do both of these things in a week, but you could also make this a two-week thing. One is the noticing, and the second is starting to shift the words you're telling yourself about your sleep. All right, I will see you on the next episode of the Plan Simple Podcast and hopefully at Make Time for Your Health. So if you haven't signed up, go grab your free ticket now. Thank you so much for joining me today. If you know a woman who wants a little more simple and a lot more flow, share this episode and send them over to the Plan Simple website to download our free course. And if you can find a five minute window today between meetings in the carpool line while you're eating your lunch, head on over to iTunes and leave us a review. This one action plays such a big part in helping other women find us. And I have so much gratitude for you in advance. So thank you so much. Until next week, dream big, plan from your heart and have a great day. 